0: Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially, and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, why don't you guys go ahead and take your seats? It's amazing to have every single one of you here with us in church today. And Whether you're here for the very first time or you're here in the room or you're joining us online in your living room, in your bedroom, in your pyjamas, at home watching us on church, we are so glad and you're so welcome here. We just want you to all feel like you can just relax and enjoy church with us today. You know, maybe church isn't ordinarily what you would choose to do with your weekend. Maybe you're not sure where you come down on all the Bible and God stuff. Well, from our staff and our team and all of our volunteers at Liverpool One Church, we want to say to you, if you're not sure, then that's okay, because this whole thing is being built just for you. This whole organisation is all about you, and we really want you to relax and enjoy your time with us at church today. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series which we've entitled The Same God, and we've been exploring how God is the same described in the Bible yesterday, today, and forever. And if we choose to believe that the same God who worked miracles all those years ago in the Bible, if we choose to believe that he is the same God who did all that, and he's still the same now, then I think a lot of stuff changes for us. I think a lot of stuff just gets better for us if we believe that he is exactly the same as he ever was. And I'm excited to bring this message to you today. I'm I'm really excited for all the content that I've got to just kind of offload that has been downloaded into me. And I'm just really stoked to bring this message to you. But you know what? Before we jump in, before we get there to today's message, I just want to pray because I don't know about you, but today I want to meet with Jesus. Like if we don't meet with Jesus, we don't leave here different. And we all come to church trying to better ourselves and follow a perfect God. So let's just pray because I'm just believing that he's going to move big time. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, God, and we are thankful, God, that we get to do this. We get to do church in the UK, in Liverpool, in a small corner of L3 today with all of these people in the room and all those joining us at home online. Heavenly Father, we want you to be present in this we want you to not be an innocent bystander, but to be in amongst it, getting involved and undoing people's lives and building them back up again to be better versions of themselves than they ever might have thought was possible. God, I need you to guide my words. I'm gonna get out the way, Lord, and I'm gonna let you speak and believe that you can have my words land in a positive, amazing place in people's lives so that they leave here knowing that they're different because they've met with their maker and their Creator in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, um, as some of you will probably know, we have a two year old, my wife and I. Her name's Elsie. She's a load of fun. She's a blessing to our family, and um, she's somewhere around the place causing havoc, no doubt. But yeah, she's amazing. And one of the things that we've always taught Elsie is that as part of her bedtime routine, we've taught her that it's a good thing to pray because we are really really holy people. No, we've, uh, we've always taught her that talking to God is a great thing to do because she can bring her requests to him and she can talk to him about things that she needs. And um, so part of her bedtime routine is one of the things we do is we just pray with him before she goes to sleep. And a few weeks ago, she had a small fall in the day and she grazed her knee. And so that night when I'm putting her to bed, I said, okay, Elsie, we're going we're gonna to pray now. Is there anything that you'd like to pray for? And she has a little think and she just says... Um, Pray Elsie's knee better. And that's what I said. And um, so, so I'm there muddling my way through this prayer for her knee, And uh, and who knows that you you have a two-year-old who doesn't forget anything ever. So every single night since, even though her knee was better the following day, every single night, it's pray Elsie's knee better. Except now, it's not just her knee. Now, it's every minor injury that she's ever sustained in all of her life. It's all the people who she's met. It's all the places where she's been. It's all the things that she's seen. She wants to pray for the whole deal. So to the point where the other night I said to her, okay, Elsie, we're going to pray. Like sort of with tentativeness, we're going to pray. Anything you'd like to pray for. And this is her list. I wrote it down. Pray Elsie's knee better. And her head. And her finger. And her hand. And her toe. And grandma. And Becky. And Liv. And Libby. And Josh. And Emily. Then a long pause. And her bath. Her bath. Then I'm like, okay, Elsie, is that all? She has another little thing. She says, and Flopsy. Flopsy is her Peter Rabbit cuddly toy. She wants to pray. For... I love how Flopsy made the list, but I didn't. Like, <laughs> mummy and daddy never made that. Flopsy's on the prayer list. But the reason why she wants to pray for all these things is because they're the things that are big in her mind. They're all the things she can think of that are big in her mind. And we teach her that she can ask God and commit to him all the things that are important and that are big enough. And they're a big enough deal to her, so she asks to pray for them. You see, the things on her list are not really big things on our list. And if we're honest, they're not all the life, life-defining moments. They're not all the huge things that we're gonna consider for the rest of our lives, but they're a big enough deal to her. And so she wants to ask God about them. But I think that if there's one thing that we all have in common... It's that we all have those things in our lives, those situations, those circumstances, those issues that go on, which are a big deal for all of us. You know, we've all got those things that we can't necessarily get out of our heads that tend to dominate our thoughts a lot of the time, and they tend to take a lot of airtime in our brains. We may even describe them as huge giants to us, depending on what they are and how long we've had them for. And you might think sitting there today, okay, well, I kind of hear you, but but what is a giant to me? Like, what, what would a giant be to me? Well, I would say a giant would be something in your life over which you have very little or no control. It would be something which tends to take large parts of your life and lock it up. It's something that you don't really have any kind of control over or any kind of sway on what happens. It might be things like Fear. Not that you walk around scared and shaking the entire time, but in an honest moment we might say that fear and anxiety could be a large part of who we are and we tend to find that it locks us up and it holds us and it disturbs our thoughts and it robs us of our peace and it comes between us and our happiness. We might say that we're battling the giant of rejection possibly because of our upbringing or possibly because of something that's happened in the past. And you, you, you almost feel like everything you do needs to be perfect. And we almost feel as if everything we do has to succeed. And if we run at any less of a pace than the crazy pace that everybody else runs at, then we're not going to get the, the, the um, recompense and the, and the accolades that we so need because we feel as if we're rejected. And we're going to keep on going regardless of the personal cost. And we're going to make sure that we wear the right thing, because if we turn up late or wear the wrong thing, then we're not going to get the recognition that we so need. And it holds us. Perhaps the giant which holds us is anger. You know, not necessarily, again, rage, but something smolders inside. And every now and again, through no control of your own, the lid just comes off and that thing just comes flying out of you and You don't seem to have any control over it. And those people who are closest to you, they're the ones that are getting hurt by your anger, but you don't seem to be able to keep a lid on things and it's controlling you and it's bringing you down. And you realise, because we're in church, you realise that it's driving a wedge between you and what's best for you, between you and God's plan, but still, it holds us. What if it's the giant of addiction today that holds us? Because if we're honest most of us in the room struggle with at least one addiction. There's so many addictions that can hold us and keep us down. There's addictions like gambling and porn, and there's things like binge eating, and and, and there's things like shopping and alcohol and drugs, and all these things can lock us up and hold us and keep us down. And, And there's so many of them. Maybe the addiction is to something subtle, like the wrong kind of friend or the wrong kind of thoughts or the wrong kind of actions Maybe it's just so subtle, but you still know it's there. Maybe we almost feel like we have to be the caretaker of someone else's life, effectively kind of doing for them what we feel like they ought to be doing for themselves, but we kind of have to just weigh in there and maybe that's a giant for us. We feel as if we've just got to stand in the gap for someone else or are we defensive or critical or do we manipulate people? There's so many giants. Our giants have a way of, hurting the relationships that are closest to us. There's very little control that we can have over them in a lot of cases. And we might even find ourselves living with and tolerating that hard, that harmful thing in our lives. We, we might find ourselves allowing it airtime and allowing it space in our minds and allowing it room to maneuver around our days because we just can't do anything else with it. And it makes us miserable. We try to justify it. We try to say, well, it's just who I am. It's just the way I am. That, that's just it. You know, it's been there for so long. It's like a part of me. And sometimes the dangerous thing is we even believe that lie. We believe that it's who we are. And that is not true. You know, some days we get really courageous and we go, no more. It stops today. And we get really, we get really fired up. We get really courageous and, 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 we, and we go again but the giant never ever seems to really disappear. It seems to be a, a short period of time and, and then it comes back around and it has us again. So what do we do? And that's what I really want this talk to be around today because this stuff is real. This is real life stuff that bothers every single one of us in the room, our attitudes and our, 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 the way we are with people. This, this stuff is really, really real and it comes into our every single day. So I want an answer to this question. How do we get rid of our giants? How do we get rid of our giants? Because Jesus came to give us life in abundance. He came to set us free and he came that we might have life and life to the full, some translations say. He says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we may have life to the full. And I love that thought. I love the idea that we can live free. He came to earth and he died on a cross to set us free. And um, it, our freedom starts with the seeing that whatever we're battling, it's not bigger than he is. That's the first key. We have to realise that it's not bigger than Jesus. No matter the size of what it is that you're going through today or that thing that you've thought about as I've gone through all that list, it's not bigger than Jesus. That's the first thing. And in a moment, we're just going to jump into a very short Bible passage about a giant who stood in opposition to God and how that ended up going for him, because it didn't go very well. He was probably one of the most famous giants to ever walk the face of the planet, and undoubtedly, if I was to say the story of David and Goliath is where we're going to read from, if you haven't known it in any great detail, you're probably somewhat familiar with the story. It's the story of the classic underdog, and um, but there's something that I've seen in this story recently. There's, there's, there's a twist. It's almost like a fresh change of the game for us all, and I believe, and we're going to get into it in just a minute, I believe this is going to change the way that we view how we're going to take out our giants if we can remember this one twist in the story of David and Goliath. But just before we go there, let's kind of catch up to where we're at, where we're going to jump into the story. So basically, you've got the Philistines who are the arch enemies of God's people, the Israelites. And there's been so many battles between the two different sides. And where we're going to go in a minute, 1 Samuel 17 is just an account of one of those battles. It took place in a place called the Valley of Elah, and what you've basically got is the Philistines on one hillside, then the valley, and then the Israelites on the other hillside. And every morning, they would come out and they would line up for battle. But up to this point where we're going to jump in, not an awful lot of fighting was going on, not an awful lot of battling had started, because what was happening was the whole Israelite army was being held back from advancing And the reason why they were being held back was because of this one guy, this champion prize fighter called Goliath. He was massive. Bible scholars tell us he was over nine feet tall. He had thick body armour. He was enormous. And he would come out every single morning right to the front of the battle lines and he would bellow his insults up at the Israelites and they weren't going nowhere. So verse eight, where we're gonna jump in. So here we go, this is Goliath. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Sounds like something about gladiator, doesn't it? I should have worn a toga. But um, he he says, are you not the servants of Saul? Saul was the king. If he is able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I can overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were terrified and dismayed. Like they were like, absolutely no way are we going down there. There is no way. See, what you've got is a whole army of people, the Israelites, and they're all up on a hill and they aren't going anywhere near Goliath. And they've all been locked up and held back by one bad voice. Can you relate to that? Held back and locked up by one bad voice. They hadn't, even, they hadn't even started to fight and they'd already lost. They hadn't even gone down and lined up. Chances are if they'd gone down there, they probably would have won. But the, the, what, not one of them was moving. Let's just remember for a second who the ancient Israelites were. They were God's chosen people. God had called them his own. He'd always protected them. They had a long history with God. He'd guided them, let's not forget, out of slavery in Egypt. He'd taken them through the bottom of the sea. And when they were all safely across, he caused the two sides of water to collapse back in and crush all the enemies that followed them. He caused a pillar of fire to guide them in the night, a cloud to guide them in the day. When they were thirsty, he sent water. When they were hungry, food literally fell out of the sky for them to eat. I mean, He'd done the most crazy miracles for the Israelites, but they'd forgotten everything. They'd forgotten it all. And then this one guy, this one champion prize fighter comes out and goes, give me a man. And not one of them is willing to go. Fortunately for the Israelites, help was on the way. And uh, the youngest of a bunch of brothers uh, called David, who was, who was a shepherd back at home, He was literally left at home uh, minding his father's sheep up in the hills somewhere while his older, bigger, stronger, better-looking brothers all joined the army and they all went off to fight. He was sent to the battle lines with food for his brothers. So he's arriving and he's saying hello to his brothers at roughly the same kind of time as Goliath comes out with his daily taunts. So the thing is about David, he was tough. He was, he was a shepherd. He was used to getting gritty in nature. He was a tough little cookie. So he turns up and he's handing out the food to his brothers. And uh, I can almost imagine that David would be like walking up and Goliath's down there doing his thing. And he's handing out his food to his brothers. And he's almost like double take down this guy down here. And he's like, hang on a second. Like, who is he? And who does he think he's talking to? So he's handing out his brother's food and, and Goliath's going, I can't believe you're not going to Throws a man down. He's like, "Our oh, God's gonna smash your God." Can't believe you even believe in your God. And David's like, "All right, enough." Who is he, and what? It, like, why is he getting away with saying all this stuff about our God? And why is no one going down there to fight him? And I can imagine his brothers just looking at this little runt of a kid, just being like, "Listen, shut up." Have you seen him? It's a death match. You're gonna get levered. Anyone that goes down there is dead. Shut up and bring me some more bread. And. Um, like, so, so David's like, I'll fight him. Gets all pigeon-chested, I'll fight him. Well, st- news of that story ends up in front of the king. So the king then sends for David because he wants to see what's going on. David gives the king an amazing sales pitch as to why he should be allowed to go and fight the giant. And this is what David says to the king. David says to Saul, the first thing he does, actually David is, he takes the low ground. He says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. He makes him, he reduces himself in front of the king. He says, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it. Now I've got to be honest with you. If a lion or a bear comes in here, I'm sending our SRT team after it. I'm not going anywhere near lions or bears. Like that. that is, that is serious stuff. I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I grabbed it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul says to David, RIP kiddo, go ahead. No, he says, he says, go and the Lord be with you. He's like, he's like, killed a lion and a bear, have you? Uh, all right, I hear you. Uh, all right, you can go, but please put some armor on first. Like, do something. You're wearing, you're wearing cloth, man. So he tries to put David in his own armor, it just doesn't fit, because David's tiny, and Saul's huge, and, and David can barely walk in the armor. So David shrugs it off, and he goes, no, 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 I've got a better way to do this goes to the river, takes five stones, you all know the story, puts them in his shepherd's bag and off he goes to see the giant. To sum things up, this one didn't last very long. Um, If you paid for a ringside seat, you're going to be really disappointed because David and Goliath had a few short words. David takes out a stone, spins it up in his sling, sends it towards the giant, gets the giant right between the eyes and the giant falls to his knees, dead, done. Done first round knockout. Like, it is literally straight down. But I think that God wants to use stories like that to show people like you and me in Liverpool today that it's possible for huge giants to go down cold straight away. I think God wants to use stories like David and Goliath to show us it's, it's entirely possible for the biggest things that you and I've got going on in our lives that we want freedom from to disappear like that, to literally vanish, and um, I think God's trying to show us that no matter the size of the issue that you feel you might be going through, God's power is bigger, his ability is stronger, and, is, and he's able to do whatever it is that we want him to do. You know, today, whatever your giant is or giants are, we can take them out. They can all come down at the name of Jesus, And today it could be a whole string of things that you're battling. You might not be sitting there going, well, yeah, there is that one thing. You might go, well, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. Well, did you know the same was true in the Bible? There was a whole string of giants. One of these, one of these guys was a huge fighter. He had six hands, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Like what an absolute monster. He was huge. But God doesn't want us to know that God doesn't want us to be demoralised if we've got a whole string of giants that wanna come down. Because again, he's bigger and he's stronger and he's more mighty and he's more able to do every single thing that we want. Because if we've got an attitude in our life or a behaviour pattern or a habitual thing that a thought that darkens our minds, something of some problem that sinks its teeth into the fabric of who we are and will not let us go, then take heart today, because nothing we can imagine, nothing we can conjure up in our heads, no problem that you can think of is a match for Jesus. And all these things can and will fall today. They can fall today. Like, do you believe that, church, today? They can go. You can walk from this place free. You can leave this place different. I mean, like the thing, that, the thing that you're imagining in your life, you can imagine that thing just beating you and being with you forever. Like you, you can just see that thing in your future. You can constantly see it just going on. But when it comes to beating our giants, I just want to get really, really mega practical just in the few minutes that we've got left. And I just want to go through three things that we can kind of lock onto, remember, and just make part of who we are as, as re- in relation to actually beating our giants. And the first thing is this we have to realize that small compromises have big consequences. Small compromises have big consequences. If we trace back for a moment, maybe some of the biggest things that it is that you struggle with, chances are that that thing didn't start as big as it, pre- as big as it presents to you now. Chances are, on the first day, that thing was smaller. It was more insignificant and it's the same, it's the same in, in this case. Uh, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were terrified and dismayed. They, they, they were absolutely sort afraid, but they made a compromise. They forgot how big God was. They forgot all the things that he'd done for them. If they just remembered, oh, hang on a second. God did this and he did this and he did this. Hang on, God's got this. Guys, let's go. Everything would have turned out differently. But instead, they forgot and they forget that fear took hold, and then fear became a pattern, and for 40 days, they didn't go anywhere. If they'd just trusted God's power and lent into him, everything would have been fine. And it's kind of like what happens to us when our giants grow and fear takes hold. We feel stifled. We feel ineffective. We feel locked up. We feel like we can't cope. We can't deal with it on our own. You know... <clears throat> Back in 2006, there was a story in the States about a woman who was mauled and killed by her pet tiger. And I remember thinking when I first heard about that story, why would anyone want to keep a tiger as a pet? Like, you know, no offense if you've got a Bengal in your back garden, but I'm just saying, like, why would anyone want to make a pet out of an instinctive killer? Those things like they hunt their prey, they kill their prey... They're like huge wild cats. Why would anyone want to do that? But I bet you when she first met the tiger, it was a cub, cute and furry. She probably held it and she stroked its head while it purred. And then she took it home and she probably gave it a name and some food and a warm place to stay. And over time, the tiger grew. And eventually, the tiger turned into what it was, a savage killer. And its instinct kicked in. And it was more powerful than she was. And the tiger attacked and the results were heartbreaking. She lost her life. But it's not much different with our giants. They come into our lives as these small compromises, a thought, a feeling, a purchase, a click, a, a comment. They come into our lives as such small, such small compromises. And, and, and we know why they're there, because they scratch an itch we've got inside. They, they satisfy something inside of us, and, and, and your killer is camouflaged as something which you think is good for you. It's just a small thing. It's just a tiny comment. It's just a small lie. It doesn't really make any difference. But these things, they grow. They take root. They settle in. We give them a warm place to stay in our hearts and in our minds. And, and, and they, these things, they grow. And over time, we realise that we're caught in our killer. And it's there and it's bigger. And by the time we've kind of noticed it, it's the silent killer and it's just far too big. It's, it's out of control now and it's affecting who we are. Because it all starts with a small compromise. Goliath didn't start life nine feet tall. He, he started life as a very small child, but he grew. And it's exactly the same with our things. And, and, and you might be here today going, yeah, I've got something in my life and it's got its foot on my throat and it's choking me out. Well, I'm here to let you know that today, that thing can fall. You know, avoiding compromise looks like building a life filled with good habits, talking to God, allowing him to work in your life, reading his word, surrounding yourself with good people who speak really great things about you. Maybe you realise that today you're listening to this and you're like, actually, I do need to make some changes. I need to change my friendship circle or my habits. I need to change some stuff just practically, which is going to allow God to help me to break free of some things. But let's not ever do what Saul and the Israelites did. Let's never let our 40 days or maybe longer for us be a reality because we're unwilling to resist small compromises. The second thing we need to know that today is that we are not David. We aren't David. The point of this message is not that you should all leave here and we should all go and uh, we should be thinking like, now I've left church and I'm, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna try and do this thing myself. I'm gonna try and succeed myself. We aren't David. If we leave church today, guys, if we leave church and we believe that it's all on us, that is us putting on Saul's armour and it's never gonna fit and it's not gonna work and our giant will remain. If we leave church today and believe that it's in our strength and our ability to break free of the things that we wanna break free from, nothing's gonna change. It will not change. So often the person speaking at the front of church will will refer to the fact that, we should aspire to be the character of David. They'll say he took five stones and, and he did this and he got his sling and he spun up and he got the giant. And, and if you just try harder, you can get the stones and you can go out there and just aim big. And everyone gets fired up with a message like that. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. But what, how's that working out for you? Because you probably heard messages like that in the past. How's it working out? Like did your giant disappear for a day or a week or for a month? But now it's back taunting you, it's back in your head again, it's back in your life again. Like we need these things to go down cold and not get up again. So we aren't David in the story of David and Goliath. You want to know who is David? Jesus. Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath. Jesus is the giant killer. We're the Israelite army held back up on the hill, locked up, paralyzed with fear, ineffective against the things that we're fighting, can't even make sense ahead and the tail of what it is that we're actually going to go down there and do. We're the Israelite army. You might be thinking, well, how could we have had this story so wrong for so long, like thinking that we were David? Like, well, how, 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 how's that? We can all take courage and we can all take confidence from the life of the shepherd boy. Like he he walked around life with a... with a a trust and a belief in his God that that his God was bigger than anything that he was going to face. And we can all get on board with that. But all that we can see on every single page of the Bible, all that we can read is that it's not all about our own abilities. It doesn't relate to our own abilities and that people were able to do things on their own abilities The Bible constantly talks about every single story, pointing at Jesus is the saviour of the world. He's the one who fixes everything. He's the one who goes down to the river. He collects five stones. Jesus goes out there and spins it up. He's the one who kills the giant On every page and in every story of scripture, all we see, all we're able to read is that Jesus is loving and caring and victorious and worthy and mighty and whole and all these good things. That's all we can read through scripture. It never points to the fact that it's all down to us. It's all down to Jesus. And as long as our eyes are on the problem and we think that the solution lies in us, we're never going to get anywhere. Our our giant will carry on and it will carry on because our eyes are not fixed on the one that really matters. If we want to walk free today, then we better get our eyes on Jesus. And if he is where you're focus is fixed, then we can do this when we realise that we're not, Jesus, we're not David, Jesus is. And the third and final point today is that giant victories follow devoted lives. Giant-sized victories, huge, big victories follow and track alongside devoted lives. You know, if we want to see the end of our giants, then we have to see that it goes hand in hand with a life that's devoted to Jesus. It just does. David wasn't a warrior. Let's look at the case study. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't even in the army. He was a shepherd. He lived up in the hills. He looked after his sheep. As a young age, David actually got um, anointed by one of God's prophets to one day be king of all Israel. But even that, that they told that young shepherd boy in the field, even that didn't, didn't sway him from loving his God, faithfully working hard, serving his father and being the best shepherd that he could possibly be. Even the news that one day, son, you're gonna be king didn't even sway him. He was out on the hills and that environment was a perfect training ground for bringing down giant-sized animals, tigers and lions and bears and eventually, as we've read, giants too. He'd been anointed by God to one day be king, but he was humble. When he went before the king, he lowered himself and he was humble. He says, your servant is here. That's what happens when we live a life that's devoted to God. That's what happens. During that time, God built the man into, the boy into the man that he was gonna be. A devoted life looks like speaking to God about everything, God, I need you for this. God, thank you for that. God, I love you. God, you're amazing. God, all the things in my life, they're all because of you. Everything I've got and everything I am comes from you. God, how can I serve you? How can I, you're servant, God. I'm here to serve. I'm, me, Dave, I'm here on this earth. I want to take as many with me as I can. God, how can I do that? How can I do that? You know, when we pray and we put the name of Jesus over the thing that we want to be free from, that's when our giants come down. When we have devoted lives, we give it to God in prayer, simply saying, God, I need you. This thing's bigger than me. I've tried, I've failed. A dozen times I've tried and failed. I can't do this without you. It keeps on popping back up. It keeps on coming back around. I feel like it's crushing me. I feel like it's taking me down. I can't catch my breath. And I feel like I fight with this thing all the time. And every single day, there it is. It's Elsie's prayer list all over again. God, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. It's her prayer list all over again. And I will not move from this place and I will not stop asking and I will not go away until you move and until you bring this thing down because God, I'm devoted to you and my giant victory is gonna follow my devoted life. You know, if there's one thing that I can guarantee you, it's that defeat is impossible for Jesus. The word defeat is not even in his vocabulary. We we, we we, can't comprehend the size of how big and powerful the God that we worship here is today. And if that's where your eyes are fixed, if that's where your focus is on, then we're going to watch as our giants fall. You know, I don't know the things that you've brought in with you today. I don't know the scenarios that are going on in your world. I don't know the things that you struggle with. I don't know all the thought patterns and the things that go on in your mind. But what I do know is that the same God who gave David victory over Goliath is the same God who can set you free from your giant. He's never changed and he will never change and he wins every single time. So... How do we get rid of our giants? How? Well, if we refuse to live compromised lives, even small compromises, while all the time remembering that we aren't David, so we avoid compromises and we right place God while living lives devoted to him, what we'll do is we'll look back one day and we'll say, look at what God has done. And your giants will be no more. There'll be no more. Church time's gone. I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to stand with me and then the band are going to come, we're going to sing some more. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, God, knowing that we are far from perfect. God, every single day we drop the ball. Every single day we try and do better. Every single day we fight with these things we fight with these feelings we we fight with our challenges God well right now God in this moment just before we worship you and declare how good you are God with an open hand we hold our our life giants in front of you and God we want freedom in this place today Lord Jesus we want to see you be real we want to see you take down our giants for us and God, I'm believing that for every single one of us in this room today who's got a giant that they, that they wrestle with, God, as they try and avoid compromises, Lord, and as they try and realise that it's you who can do it and not them, as they hand over the control and say, Jesus, take the wheel. And God, as we all collectively stand here and say, God, we want to we follow you more. We want to live lives devoted to you, God. I pray that you set these people free. I pray that you set us free from the things that have followed us for so long, that have taken our happiness and taken our joy and driven wedges between us and other people. God, I pray that by your blood, you would cause restoration to happen. Lord Jesus, that you would see us strong where we are otherwise weak. Lord, and we ask all of this in the most mighty, precious, worthy name of your Son, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Just before we sing, God, just before we sing, Lord, I want to bring the church to you. And I just want to say, God, that if there are those here who don't know you and have not made a decision to follow you with their lives, Lord, I pray that you will be pulling on their heart right now. And if that's you in the room and you just you sense that today's your day, you just want to make your peace with Jesus, you want to make your peace with your maker, then just pray this very simple prayer in your heart, very quietly to yourself after me. And we're going to believe that you are going to begin the best days of your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I know God that I have got things so wrong. Lord, I want to say sorry for the things that I've done that have hurt you, the sins I've committed that have distanced me from you. Lord, I want to come home now. I want you to forgive me, Lord. I want you to make your home in my heart. And I want to live as a Christian for the rest of my days. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.